Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us to seek you and reveal yourself to us when we seek you. For we cannot seek you unless you first teach us or find you except you reveal yourself to us. Let us seek you in longing and long for you in seeking. Let us find you in love and love you in finding. O Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A very good morning to you all. Blessed Chinese New Year to all my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ here. Last Sunday, Reverend Andrew Yap uh, timely reminded us about God's terrifying wrath because all men, including us, have fallen short of God's glory without excuse. We all stand equally guilty before God. And he encouraged us to live in righteousness in the face of God's wrath as we had been saved by God through, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So this Sunday, the third Sunday of Epiphany, we continue our sermon series with Romans chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. Our topic for today is, do not judge others. This topic is very appropriate for us such a time like this, uh, Chinese New Year, when we meet our family members, relatives, and friends at one table with reunion conversations. So however, this is a, one of the most difficult topics to handle for our secularized society. On the one hand, we are consumed with tolerance, acceptance, non-judgmentalisms. But on the other hand, we are obsessed with judging others. Think of a show like American Got Talent, Asia Got Talent, Extra Got Talent, The Voice, The Master Chef. In addition, the most severe judge seems to be the most popular in our cultures today. So regarding judging others, uh, think of these illustrations. There is a man by the name of John who wanted to impress his friends with his eyes for art. So as they went to an art gallery together, but he forgot his nearsighted glasses and he couldn't hardly see his hand in front of his face. So he figured he could improvise any abstract comments and observations he wanted to make. So when he approached a frame and he began to criticize, he said, why would anyone want to paint something so hideously ugly? I mean, it is true. Why waste time painting such a disgusting subject? So when he said this, everyone was laughing by this as his wife whispered into his ear and she said, John, it is a mirror. Yes, my brothers and sisters in Christ, Scripture is a mirror for us to check our spiritual lives. So then how can we understand our Scriptures today and so what can we do in our pilgrim journeys? So let us build our context here to understand Romans chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. It is very crucial to understand Romans 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20 as a whole. This portion is talking about God's righteousness both God is not only the judge in the cosmic court law, and God is in covenant with Israel, where Israel too found guilty in God's sight because of their failure of commitment to the covenant. So the final judgment, in the final judgment, Jews and Gentiles, all mankind will be judged alike. The truth will out, the world will put in order at last, 
the judgment will be true Messiah's Jesus, as we see in chapter 2, verse 16. So regarding judgment, Paul explained chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 32 as the manifestations of God's wrath in the presence. But however, uh, he moved from chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, he turns to the future, the eschatological day of wrath, as we can see in chapter 2, verse 5. When Jews and Gentiles will stand before God and will be judged impartially according to their actions, chapter 2, verse 6 to 11, so which will be addressed by our vicars, Ken and Lewis Liu, next week. So moreover, Romans 2 is like a mirror reflections of the Romans 1, where Paul exposes the pagan, pagan uh, depravity on the one side. On the other side is the disobedience among the covenant people, in our case, is Jews. So both mesh together. So what Paul is trying to convey here is sin is not simply a Gentile problem, but also a Jewish problem as well. A close reading of both first and second chapters reveals that both Gentiles and Jews are guilty of provoking the wrath of God. Chapter 1, verse 18, parallel to chapter 2, verse 5. So both Jews and Gentile rebels against what they know to be true. Chapter 1, verse 21 and 32, parallel to chapter 2, verse 18. And so both Jews and Gentiles are without excuse for failing to do what is right. Chapter 1, verse 20, parallel to chapter 2, verse 1. So for us, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we can agree on the train of thought, mankind do not accept God's assessments of human sin and imperative divine judgment. Although men may admit that they are sinners, but they will not agree God's wrath should fall on those guilty of lesser sins, such as envy, arrogance, pride, and forgiveness. So most of the people do not take God's words about sins and judgments seriously, but rather they reject and replace it with their worldview and reasoning, such as everybody is doing it. Nobody is perfect. God's will forgive. It is his trade. It is his problem. So it is an assumption that God does not mean what he says or says what he means. At the same time, the religious may think they can fool God and escape God's judgment. God is under no such delusion, my brothers and sisters in Christ. The fact of the matter is God means what he says and says what he means. Moreover, his judgment is perfect because he sees and knows every intent of our human hearts. He sees and knows every intent of our human hearts. So with this context in mind, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us dive into Romans chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. So in the short five verses, we can separate into two parts. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, as presumption and judgment. And the second part is the questions that invite self-examination. So in the first verse of the Romans 2, Paul uses second person, singular pronoun, you, by abandoning the third plural pronoun, they, which has been used throughout in chapter 1, verse 18 to 32. So this shift suggests Paul is speaking directly to Roman Christians. And he points out clearly to a Jewish situation 
in which he exposes Jews' presumption of superiority as a covenant people over the Gentile is false. So Paul said, therefore you have no excuse, O men, every one of you who judge, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, predicts the very same things. So what Paul's saying here is, no matter who you are, Jews or Gentiles, if you pass judgment, you have no excuse. He wants that who, those who judge will not, be, not only be judged, but will be judged in the very same way they rendered judgment. So the Jews and Gentiles will be judged individually by God since they are equally liable to sin. So Paul's warning here is relevant to Jews who are inclined to look down on Gentiles because of their ignorance of God's revelations in the Old Testament and because of their immoral lives. In fact, as we postmodern Christians need to remember the greater knowledge of revelations bring greater responsibility and liability. Greater revelations brings greater responsibility and liability. Sometimes we ourselves tend to judge, tend to be critical of everyone except ourselves. We often harsh in our judgment in others, but we are lenient towards ourselves. We even gain and vicarious satisfactions from condemning others, whereas we excuse ourselves from the very false. So one of the most dangerous of all religious tendencies is to talk as if faith and work were entirely different and separate things. There's no such thing, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Faith does not result in work, nor can there be work which are not the product of faith. Works and faith are inextricably bound up together. So our faith must lead to our action, for in, it is by those actions we are accepted or condemned. So when we come to the second part, which is uh, questions of invitations of self-examinations, Paul asks these questions. Do you presume on the richness of kind, his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant you to lead you to repentance? He continues, but because of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here, what we learn here is the three fundamental characters of who God is, who is the judge of the cosmic court law described by St. Paul. First, God is rich in his kindness. So God is kind. It is a very beautiful word and it is a beautiful expression and beautiful idea. It means God is always kind to us in regard to our past and present sins because he has not judged us yet, though we deserve it. Secondly, forbearance or tolerance is a cessation of hostility, but this cessation has a limitation. It is like a porter who is making a pot. He is patient and careful in his work, taking the time to shape and mold the clay. As a porter works, he's constantly making adjustments, even if it is mean to starting over. So this can allude to God's forbearance, which never gave up on us. He is constantly working on us, shaping and molding us, helping us to be like his son, Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. So thirdly, patience or long-suffering. So God's patience with people is the characteristics of God who has the power to avenge and deliberately does not use it. So one of the commentators point out, I quote, God's punishment does not immediately follow sin. It's not a proof of his powerlessness, but it is a proof of his patience. You owe your life to the patience of God, end quote. So God is always patient and waiting for us. He never gave us on us. It is an invitation for our reflections about ourselves. The mercy of God and the love of God are not meant to make us so that we can sin and get away with it. They are meant to break our hearts so that we may seek never to sin again. So John Chrysostom finally writes, I quote, God show us his kindness in order to lead us to repentance. Not in order that we might sin even more if we do not take this advantage of this opportunity, the punishment we shall receive will be all the greater, end quote. So by the contrary, my brother and sister, if we continue sinning and judging others, then we are holding God's kindness, forbearance, and patience in contempt. So Apostle Paul describes those who spread God's mercies will, uh, as like a stubbornness, literally, or hardness of heart. Hardness of heart is a biblical language for a human will that resists the Lord and His law. It is like a callous hand, as, we can, as some of us may have a callous hand. It's becoming like a rough and insensitive over time due to the repetitive actions and lack of care. So to our hearts can become very hard and insensitive to the things of God due to the constant refusal to listen to God and obey His Word. So it can be described like a person also walking on a beach. He keeps walking and walking and walking, paying attention, paying, not, not paying attention to the beauty of the sea, the sky, the sounds of the wave, the sand, and the seagulls. He is so focused on his own thoughts and his worries, he doesn't notice anything around him. So the heart of the heart can be described like that, and it is like a heart which is focused on oneself and that it cannot perceive or hear God's word. So Paul sternly reminds the reader and all of us here that God will repay according to our works. God will repay according to our works. Judgment according to works, which is a classic tenet of Jewish theology rooted in the Old Testament scriptures, so this is a belief that God will hold every person accountable for his or her actions, public or private, or assign each person corresponding destiny to at which one will either receive eternal life at the final judgment or face the wrath of God who punishes evil. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, do not judge others. The word from the Lord for us today is, do not judge others because Judgment belongs to God and God will judge impartially. Do not judge others because God, judgment belongs to God and God will not judge impartially. So however, we need to descend these four little words of do not judge others. The simplicity and clarity of these four words 
belied, there are difficulties that many will have living into them. So honestly, the text before us, Romans chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, is touches on the issues of judgment and hypocrisies. So it is very, it seems to us very important for us is to engage this word honestly. We ought to be careful in thinking through the role of interpreting this text about judgment without being judgmental. So if uh, we can think this two train of thoughts, is Paul is really trying to say the listener not to judge? Or is he rather telling his listener how to judge or only to judge with care? In any case, the assumption that Paul seems to make here is people will judge and judgment is a fact of life. Generally uh, speaking, judgments are rendered when judges have enough evidence or information to determine at a particular course of actions in consonance with the predetermined legal standards. So in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 7, Jesus commands against rendering judgment because of the recognitions of the human being rarely possess sufficient evidence and or information to draw accurate conclusions about one another. Especially it pertains to the characters. Behavior towards one another is rooted in the half-truths and partial understanding often result in hard feelings and even broken relationships. That is why, my brothers and sisters, Jesus reminds us again in our gospel reading today, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but you do not notice a log that is in your eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your eyes? So additionally, it is very important for us, my brothers, not to jump too quickly into condemnations of moralisms because our culture has a strong inbuilt prejudice against moralizing. We must... We, uh, we much prefer to reduce all morals. Do, you, uh, do what you feel like as long as you don't hurt anyone. So we eagerly approach the Roman as denunciation of moralism and then feel self-righteousness. Do not miss the point here, what Paul is trying to convey here. Paul believed all morals matter to society. And he did not object to people holding high moral standards. But what he object here is doing so while failing to practice what one preached. So the objection was the hypocrisy of denunciation falls while secretly practicing them oneself. So it is a very familiar problem in our society today. For instance, like journalists take delight in exposing the failings of which they themselves may be privately guilty and their life might not be bare in public scrutiny. The truth is that hypocrisy is always a temptation in our religious community too, because there is always to presume there's something you are not. And I myself, like you, my brothers and sisters, are not immune to religious hypocrisy. It is a problem on Asian Israel, and it is also a problem in the church today. For us, the passage is not only a warning against judging others, but also it's a call to humility and self-reflection. It is a reminder that salvation is a gift given by God, not earned by human effort. Believer in Jesus 
should not despair God's mercy, but neither should they convince themselves that salvation is guaranteed to all who place in faith in Christ, regardless of how they live. The prospect of the future judgment by God urges us the baptized to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So anti Wright point out this Paul message in this passage today. It is not about moralism, but of grace. He emphasized that Paul is not trying that people should not judge others, but rather they should first look at themselves and their own actions before judging others. Look at themselves and their own actions before judging others. And he writes, I quote, The word judgment has of course been allowed to slip into negative mode in contemporary Western world with judgmentalism, one of the classic postmodern feelings. Judgment is in fact a positive thing. It is what restores health to the society, a balance to a world. It replaces chaos with order. The fact that it can be abused that human, whether or not in positions of authority, can take it upon themselves to pass judgments on one another in negative and destructive ways. It indicates not that it is a bad thing in itself, but it's like all good things and important things, it can generate unpleasant parodies and code. So, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, it comes to the end of my homily. Every day is the last day for us, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to take this opportunity to come back to God with broken and contrite hearts in repentance. If we find it is impossible to walk blamelessly, can we walk at least honestly? Prayerful, generous, compassionate, and faithful life lived honestly before God and in a public world will yield a compelling witness to God's reality. I end with this St. Peter's encouragement to you all, the Word of God, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, 4, 9. He says, There is the promise, uh, where is, uh, he said, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creations. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as, he count, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All should reach repentance. My brothers and sisters in Christ, let us grab uh, this Chinese New Year unbound for God, His patience, to reflect our life and to come back to God in repentance. Let us pray. O God, whose nature and property is never ever to have mercy and to forgive, receive our humble petitions, and though we are tied and bound with the change of our sins, yet let the pitifulness of thy great mercy loose us so that we may be able to love you 
and love our neighbor. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator and advocate, we pray. Amen.